0: So now I'd like to invite up Van Cochran, our senior pastor. Thanks, everyone. <clears throat> hey, great to see you all here today. Aren't you happy to be here? Yeah, this is going to be a great day. We're going to have uh, just profound worship later, and um, just we're going to have a fantastic message right now, unbelievable message coming. Yeah, that that was the first that was the first joke right there, okay? <laughs> okay, so there's this guy that yells across a river to another guy and says, "Hey, how do I get to the other side?" And that guy yells back and says, "You're already on the other side." <laughs> okay. I started with that one intentionally. I knew it was the lower level. All right. There was this, there was this like seminar meeting where they were trying to get people to think about their lives and what their life meant, and, and so the leader wants people to stand up and say, answer this question, when your friends are standing over your casket in, your, in the funeral home at your funeral, what do you want them to say? And one guy stands up and he says, well, I want them to say that I was a good and generous man. No, another one stood up and said, well, I want them to look at me and to say he was a great father and, and a wonderful husband. Then another guy stands up and says, I want them to look at me and say, hey, he's moving. <laughs> a little better, huh? A l- little better. All right, so one more. There, There's this dinner, um, you know, a banquet, and... A man is sitting there and he's having trouble eating. And the guy beside him says, uh, "Are you having problems with your dentures?" And the man says, "Yeah, they're just—they've been hurting lately, and I just can't—you can't eat with them right now." So the guy pulls another pair of dentures out of his pocket and he says, "Well, here, try these." And so the guy tries and says, "No, those don't fit either." And so he pulls another pair out and hands him those, and they fit, and he's just delighted. He eats the whole meal and is so happy. And at the end of the meal, he says, boy, it was lucky for me that I sat down beside a dentist. And the guy said, dentist? I'm a mortician. (laughs) All right. I'll probably hear from my wife that I shouldn't have told that one. (laughs) I thought so too. (laughs) All right, so what we've been doing on Sunday mornings for the last month or so, even started in mid-December, was talking about the kingdom of God and some different aspects of the kingdom as it impacts our lives and and impacts our reason for being here. And if you remember, the first message I gave on this uh, was so crucial because it, it really outlined a framework from which we can perceive the kingdom and understand the kingdom. And what I shared in that message was this, that God created the world. He created us. He created our first two human beings, Adam and Eve, placed them in this beautiful garden on this world. But he told them that what he wanted them to do was to have babies and fill the whole earth with children with image bearers. He had created created them in his image. And that as they did that, they were to subdue the earth. That meant bring it into order. So the earth, although it was created and it was all good, it wasn't brought into the order God wanted it to be in yet. He left that up to Adam and Eve. And then they were to rule over the earth. Now, when we think of bringing the earth into order... Uh, You know, the question would be, well, how was that going to happen? And, And this is really a crucial part of understanding the kingdom to understand that what would have happened would have been this. As they had babies, as they had children, and they grew up, they would be able to work in the garden. And more and more children fill the garden up. And so, what happens to the garden? It would have expanded. And it would have expanded more and more and until they filled the whole earth, not only with children, but with the Garden of Eden. And that was God's intent, because Eden was representative of God's perfect will for this earth. It was heaven on earth. As Jesus told us that we were to pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so that was God's intent. Adam and Eve would have filled the earth with children, And at the same time, as part of that process, Eden would have filled the whole earth, and then they were charged to manage the earth as God's representatives here. Instead, Adam and Eve rebelled against God. They They actually made the choice to join the opposition, and they trusted Satan more than God, and that broke their relationship with God, and it broke this whole process of filling the earth with Eden, filling the earth with image bearers that would have expanded the Garden of Eden. And actually what happened was they gave their authority over to Satan at that moment. As God's representatives on this earth, he had put the earth under their care. They passed, it's like God gave them the keys to the car and they gave the keys to God's enemy. And so Satan then in that moment established a counter kingdom of darkness which became pervasive on the whole face of the earth. And it is pervasive today. All all that we see is a result of all the pain and the heartache and the war and the suffering and the poverty and the grief and the sickness. All of that is a result of the counter kingdom, the kingdom of darkness on this planet. But God's intent was to take it back. That's why he sent Jesus. It wasn't just so we could be forgiven and go to heaven when we die, although that's a great thing, and I'm I'm very happy that the final destination is going to be heaven, but we have to recognize that the purpose, the goal is for us to receive the authority that Jesus took back from Satan. Adam and Eve gave it away, Jesus took it back, and then he gave it to us. And so our role now is to carry the kingdom of God and to expand the to see God's kingdom established on this planet. That's what we're called to. That's why we're here as a church body. Okay, and that's why a message like that message that I just shared with you in in brief that is so essential to our understanding. We're not here just to do kind things, although kind things can open up the power and life of the kingdom. We are here for the release of God's presence and life and power into this world and into this planet. Now, last week, we talked about uh, leadership and the role of leadership in the release of the kingdom and in, in, in the expansion of the kingdom throughout the earth, and we said that there are people that are that have leadership as their primary gifting. And they're called to prominent offices of leadership. But everybody has leadership in them. Do you remember that? Although there are those who are more highly gifted so much so that that's their main focus, everybody has leadership gifting in them. And in, in short, leadership is influence. Leadership is the ability to see something the way it is and the way it should be, and to have some idea of how to make that transition from the way it is to the way it should be, and to influence other people to help make those shifts. Now, you might say, well, I'm not a leader. I can't lead. Well, if you think of leadership as influence, let me ask, how many of you have ever been in a traffic situation where you said out loud, why can't that person learn to use their turn signals? <laughs> okay? That was a leadership impulse you had. <laughs> you saw the way it was, you knew the way it should be, and you were motivated to try to change that. Does that make sense? Okay, so we all have that in us. And and, and what what we want to do is we want to have A leadership mindset because a leadership mindset is an influence mindset. And God has called us as a church body to influence this community, this city, this state, the region, the world. And so we have to have an influence mindset that we are all called to exercise influence, the influence of the kingdom. And when we recognize that and and we grow in it, even if someone may not be called to lead a, a big organization uh, or, or even something smaller than that. Nevertheless, if, if, if I am not in touch with the fact that God wants to use me as a leader to influence others, then I'm not going to be growing in that influence. And if I'm not growing in that influence, then I'm not really going to be aware of when God... Comes and taps me on the shoulder and says, Hey, you know, you thought you weren't a leader. Well, we're going to fix that right now. We're going to change that. Here's what I want you to do. I mean, that's happened here. Coming out of our School of Kingdom ministry class last year, we have a ministry now drive through prayer, which happens once a month. And they'll have 15, 16, 18, 20 cars stop to get prayer. They'll pray for 30, 40 people in a two hour period. That was all generated by, by just rank and file people in the church. It had, I didn't motivate it. Nobody else on the staff did. And our belief is that as a church body, we're going to see more and more of that kind of thing happening. And we're going to see more and more ministries rising up naturally as people get in touch with, with and grow in leadership. And then God points something out to them that needs to change and they step in and they change it. And so it's important that we, that we have this mindset. Now, I, I do want to show you a couple of verses just to kind of complete last week's message and then we're going to move into a new message today related to this but a little different. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says this, have confidence in your leaders and yield to them because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Now, a lot of things you could say about this passage. I, I only want to point out a couple of things. One, obviously, there are people who are gifted and called to offices of leadership, okay? So we recognize that. But the, the thing I want to point out here is that the word leader is one of three or four words in the New Testament, Greek terms that's used for leader. And this one has a pretty specific meaning. It, it speaks to someone who takes an accounting of things, Someone who evaluates a situation almost like an accountant looking at the books, looking at and, and weighing the different factors. So it refers to a person who has examined something who has an opinion on what needs to be done and states that opinion. And so this this term for leader here speaks directly to the whole issue of influence of seeing something that needs to change and exercising influence to have that happen. Now, in Zechariah 8, there's an incredible verse, Zechariah 8.23. I'm going to read it to you. I'm not sure if we're going to have it there or not. Oh, here it is. Yes, good. All right. So it says this. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, 10 people from all languages and nations will take... Firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, "Let us go with you, because we've heard that God is with you." Now, when he says here in those days, he's referring to today. He's referring to the days of the Holy Spirit, when the Spirit's poured out on all people. And uh, and he's when he mentions the Jews, he's re- really referring to God's people. So by extension, that applies to us. But what he's talking about here is just rank and file people who have God's presence on their lives and other people grabbing hold of them and saying, Hey, you've got something I need. How can I get it? I can see God on you. I can see God in you. I need God. Show me how, show me, lead me, take me to the place where I can meet God, where I can find God. And so, at the real foundational level, this is leadership. And at the, at the most basic level leadership flows out of an intimate experience and relationship with Jesus so much so that it shows up in my life that it shows up in your life and that other people are going to see it and they're going to say lead me show me move me so that I can so that I can come with you on the, on this journey and I point this out because it's just this natural leadership thing that happens, but also I want to point out to you that its leadership is based upon intimacy and experience with Jesus, intimacy and experience with God, and so that's really what we're going to talk about today is experiencing God's goodness, just that idea of experiencing God's goodness, and as a church body, we want to be a church that experiences God's goodness. We want to be a church that when we gather, the presence of God is here so that someone walking in is coming into something more than just an intellectual experience, something more than just a relational experience, although both of those are necessary. We want them to come into an experience where they walk away saying, God is there. I, I experienced God while I was there. And because that's what changes people's lives. And, and in spite of all of the th- great things that we could do, the great ministries we could start and powerful, uh, powerful plans and strategies that we could come up with, it really comes down to God's presence it's God's presence that changes people. And when you when we create a culture of God's presence, then we are creating a culture where the gospel message is going to penetrate people's hearts and lives and minds in a powerful way. Where it's more than just hearing something that someone says God did for me. I'm experiencing God's presence. And you know, one of the most exciting things I've ever experienced in life is leading people to Jesus in the presence of God. And I've had that happen a few times. Uh, one time I was uh, talking to this young couple that uh, wanted to get married, and so I'm going through some stuff with them, and I, and I shared the gospel with them. And I'm simply using the bridge illustration, I'm, I'm putting it on a whiteboard, and as I'm writing it and talking to them, it. It just felt like this something just entered the room. a presence entered the room. That's what it was. And I have my back to them, and I can just feel God's presence, just come into the room, just, just like that. I turned to them, and these, these two are unchurched people, they don't know Jesus. I said, "Did you feel that?" And the guy looked at me with big eyes and he said, "Yes, what was that? What is that?" I said, "That's God's presence." You know what that is? That's God telling you he wants to know you. That's God telling you that what I'm sharing with you is something that you need to accept and just embrace. And they both prayed to receive Jesus and Holy Spirit came on them more powerfully. And right on the spot in a setting like that, for me, I just go right into tongues. I mean, if they're gonna get saved, the Holy Spirit's present like that, they need to also learn how to pray in tongues and so you just go right into that. It's the most natural thing in the world. When someone comes to know Jesus in the context of, of god 's manifest presence, but it 's a really cool thing, and that 's what god 's called us to as a church body is to be a place where people are coming to know Jesus in his what we refer to as his manifest presence, and by that we simply mean him manifesting His presence, Him revealing His presence. He's here all the time, but there are times when it seems like the air gets thicker or uh, there's just this sense in, in the room that God is here. And so that's what we want. We want to be a people that are hungering for more and more of the presence of God and the goodness of God. And let me tell you, if God wasn't good, we wouldn't want His presence. If God wasn't good, we would fear his presence. It is the goodness of God that attracts us to him. Romans says it this way. It says, it's the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. And you know what repentance is? It's turning from the way I'm going and turning to God. Okay? If God wasn't kind, no one would would be motivated to turn back to him. But it's his goodness, his kindness, his love, his mercy, his compassion. And we just lump that all together and refer to his goodness. It's, it's his goodness that causes us to desire his presence. And once we taste his goodness, once we taste his presence, then we don't want anything else. In fact, there's a verse in the Old Testament which um, I didn't get into the slide, uh, the presentation this morning, so I'm just gonna read it to you. But this is from Jeremiah 31, 14. And it says this. And God, again, this is one of those prophecies in that day. Okay, when you read that in the Old Testament, nine times out of 10, it's referring to today because we live in the age of the Spirit. And so in that day, I will fill the soul of the priests with abundance and my people will be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. All right, so he's saying... In that day, priests, they're just going to have abundance of my presence on them, and my people are going to be satisfied with my presence. They're going to be satisfied with, well, he says, with my goodness. And so he he doesn't mean by that that I'm going to be satisfied, okay, God, I have enough of you now, I'm satisfied. What he means by that is in comparison to all the other places in life, we look for satisfaction because people look all these other places. You know, we look, to, uh, we look to possessions, we look to success, we look to careers, we look to relationships, uh, we look to sex and drugs and all sorts of things for satisfaction in life. Uh, but uh, who, who, who Mick Jagger? You know, I can't get no satisfaction. There's no satisfaction. How many of you know that song? Okay, every hand over 40 went up. <laughs> it's not, not really a very, very uh, godly song, actually, so <laughs> don't go listen to it. Um, but in comparison to all of that, I'm not looking to that for satisfaction because I've tasted God. I've tasted his goodness, and I'm coming to him for satisfaction. That's what it means. I'm, I'm satisfied to pursue more and more and more of him. So let's just talk about tasting God's goodness for a minute, all right? Tasting is goodness. You know, we're, we're all we're all born with this kind of spiritual vacuum inside because of the the broken relationship that Adam and Eve, when they rebelled against God, they've passed on to us. So we're born into this kind of like spiritual no-man's land, and there is uh, an emptiness inside because we were created for relationship with God. And, and that's, that's the thing we're trying to satisfy. That's what we're looking for is to fill that spot up. And the only thing that will satisfy it is Jesus. That's the only place. And so when we recognize that that hunger is for God... And it's not just for knowledge about him, but it is to experience him. I wanted more than just to see pictures of my wife before we got married. And and still, me, I wanted more than just to get letters from her, although I delighted in the letters and I loved the pictures. I wanted to hold her hand. I wanted to look into her eyes. I wanted to kiss her. I wanted to hug her. And the same thing is true in our relationship with God, that we want to experience his presence, to experience his goodness. And that's why in Psalm 34, 8, it says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. It's a blessing to to know God and to take refuge in him, to taste his goodness, to experience his goodness. And once you've tasted it, you want more. Now, there's a, a, an old theologian pastor by the name of A.W. Tozer back in the mid-20th century, 1950s, 60s. Um, and, and he wrote these wonderful books on God and relationship with God. One of the books he wrote was called The Pursuit of God. Any, any Tozer fans here? Okay, man, if you've never read Tozer, pick up The Pursuit of God and read it. It's a wonderful little book. It's not not, not hard to read, not too long. But he made this statement in it. I'm going to kind of like paraphrase it in into my language. But uh, he was talking about the pursuit of God. And he said, Christians easily fall into the deception that once we have come to know God, we no longer need to seek him. You hear that? We as believers can fall into this deception so easily, the belief that once we've come to know him, we no longer need to seek him. But exactly the opposite is true. Once I've come to know, once I've tasted, once I've come to know him, then I want to seek him all the more because he's the only one that satisfies my heart and my soul, and And this is something that we move into deeper and deeper progressively over the course of our lifetimes. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, we see indication of that when uh, Paul says this, he says, now we see only a reflection. The old translation says we, we see, but it's like looking through a dark glass, like a smoked glass or like frosted glass. You see a form on the other side. You can make out some of the features, but it's not like crystal clear. And he says, we, we look at it like, like it's a reflection in a, in a poor mirror. But he says, then when Jesus returns, we'll see face to face. He says, now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So as fully as God knows you right now, and as clearly as he sees you right now, you're going to see and know him when Jesus returns. But this isn't something that we just wait for Jesus to return and give to us. It's something that we progressively pursue and press into more and more and more over the course of our lifetimes. 2 Corinthians 3 is a, is a passage that uh, that says that. And, and here he says, we all with unveiled faces, I'll explain what that means in a moment, we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, and we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, when he says, we all with unveiled faces, he's referring uh, back to Moses, And uh, Moses is a leader in the Old Testament who wrote a lot of the Old Testament, the first five books of the Bible. And he went up on a mountain, and he came into God's very presence. But even though he came into God's presence, even Moses couldn't come fully into God's presence. But when he would come down from the mountain, having been in God's presence, his face shined. His face would have this glow to it. And it must have had some unearthly quality or something because it scared people. And so when Moses came down, they were afraid to look into the face of Moses because his face was reflecting the glory of God. And so, you know, they're all like averting their eyes and covering their eyes and hiding so they didn't have to look at God's glory. And so Moses, just to simplify the process, he just took a veil and covered his face with a veil. So that he could speak to people, but they wouldn't like have to look right into the face of, of the glory that was reflected from his time in presence with God. So what he's saying here is, we are like the people. And now, though, we don't need a veil. There doesn't have to be a veil that covers the glory. Because... We have come into a new era where now we have new hearts. We are changed. We are made new into new people. We are kingdom of God people. That's what righteous means. Go back a couple of weeks. We talked about that. And because we're righteous, we are, we are designed now to be in God's presence. And so he says here, we don't have to worry about covering our faces or covering God's face so that we don't see fully his glory. He says we can contemplate, and really it means we can just gaze right into it, right into his face. We can, we can just gaze right into his face. Uh, it, we, can, we can see, we can understand, we can grasp it, and, and it's not something that repels us. And, and he says that as we do that, then we are being transformed into his image, with ever-increasing glory, from glory to glory, from one level of glory to another level of glory to another level of glory. So we, as believers, are transformed into His glory. You know, what, 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 what is His glory, His character, His beauty? He imparts to us, and that's how we grow spiritually, because we're transformed, meaning that our minds are renewed our minds are renewed so that we're not thinking like like people who fit into the kingdom of darkness anymore. Because we come to know Jesus, our hearts have been changed, and we are now people who fit in the kingdom of God. We have a new identity, which is a kingdom of God identity. Whereas before, our old identity was a sin identity, and that was the kingdom of darkness identity. Jesus changes us. We become righteous, we become new, new identity. I have a kingdom identity now, so I find it more natural now to be a kingdom type of person. And so that, that includes me just pursuing his presence, and, and that happens sometimes in very dramatic, bold moments, such as the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on the mountain and um, he was, the glory that was inside him because of his deity shined out, just like Moses, it, but, but much brighter and much more powerful, just burst out through his clothes as well. With Moses, it was just his face. With Jesus, it says that his clothes turned white because his glory is shining through every pore of his body and just coming out through every, every piece of fabric and uh, his face and 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 so they're there and they see the glory of God. It was such a powerful and profound and life-changing thing that Jesus, in fact, told them, don't tell anybody until I'm risen from the dead because that's when the Holy Spirit's gonna come and that's when people can understand what you're talking about. But right now, keep this to yourselves. And so that's a life-changing thing. And and I wanna tell you, any time God reveals truth to us, And by reveals, I mean where it's like the difference between me reading it and God sitting across the table from me and saying it to me. Uh, The old timers used to call this scripture, uh, they would say it was being quickened. (laughs) They called it quickened because the word quickened meant brought to life. And and so sometimes you're reading the Bible, and it's always God's Word. It's always alive. It's always powerful. It's always going to feed your soul. But sometimes the Holy Spirit will take a verse and just just quicken it to your heart. It becomes alive to you. Anytime there's a revelation like that, that's an invitation to a deeper experience of God's goodness and God's presence. And so we, we want to say yes to those. Always we want to say yes to those experiences Of deeper into His presence, but it's not just an experience; it's not just a mountaintop experience like like they had with Jesus. Uh, For for us to grow in His presence and for us to become uh, more and more in His presence, it, it really is something that needs to be sustained, so that it is small steps, not just big steps. Uh, any, any of you ever played Mother May I when you were a kid? Okay, it's an old game. Kids, they have video games and stuff, so they don't even know what it is. It was, a, it was a setup because one person was the mother, and you would say, Mother, may I take one giant step forward? And mother, for just totally arbitrary reasons, would be able to say, no, you have to take two giant steps back. Or yes, you can take a baby step forward. Well... This is how it is. It's like we get to take giant steps forward like Peter, James, and John did on the Mount of Transfiguration. But the long-term growth and the sustaining of what we gain in those big moments happens by all the small steps we take. And so it is a daily pursuit of relationship with God. It is daily opening the Bible and saying, God, I need to hear you speak. God, I need to understand more of, of your plan. I need, to, I need to see you, God. I want to see you. It is, it is worshiping and praying and pursuing God on a daily basis that sustains what he puts into us in those more profound moments. Now, John 14 is a, a real powerful verse I want to look at. And John 14, uh, verses 20 and 21, because it talks about obedience, And and here's what we are talking about right now. It is bringing our lives more fully into alignment with God's kingdom. Remember, we are kingdom people now. So my nature is a kingdom nature. Now my thinking hasn't caught up with my new nature yet. So I still think a lot of old ways. And so all my behaviors are not kingdom behaviors. And so I still have behaviors that are Kingdom of Darkness, behaviors. And that causes all this disjointedness in my life and disruption in my heart. And and, and what we're called to do is to bring our behaviors in alignment with our nature, which our nature is already a kingdom nature. My thinking is becoming more and more kingdom. And as my thinking becomes more kingdom, then my actions and behavior become more kingdom. And, and it's just a real one simple illustration. God, I'm mad at this person. They hurt me, and um, I want to get even with them. At the very least, I want to hold a grudge against them. That's, that's kingdom of darkness, all right? God, you say forgive. Kingdom of God, kingdom of light says forgive. says I've been forgiven. I need to forgive. I need to be gracious. I need to love this person and forgive them. So I have a choice. Well, my new nature knows this is the right way, but some of my habit patterns are drawing me this other way. And so at that moment, I'm, Holy Spirit, give me the strength because I'm going to obey God. I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to, I'm going to line my, my actions up with the kingdom, which is what my nature is, is inclined towards. So here it is this. It says, in that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. So he says, in that day, meaning the day the Holy Spirit comes, that's who's just talking about the Holy Spirit. And he says, I want you to know this. You're gonna know, Jesus says that I'm in my Father and you are in me. And so here, let's reverse the order there and say, okay, here I am. I am in Jesus, okay? And then Jesus is in the Father. He's in God. So where am I? I'm in the Father also, all right? That is the heavenward perspective. In Ephesians, he talks about us being seated with Christ, the right hand of God in the heavenly realms. That's the heavenward perspective. But now, Jesus gives us more of the earthward perspective when he says... And I am in you. Because here, as, as, I, as I rest here in this world, Jesus is in me, living in me. And because of that, then, there, there is this new nature I have because Christ is in me, he's changed me. And there's this new inclination I have to love him. And that love is manifested how? How? by becoming more of a kingdom person. That's when he says, whoever obeys me loves me. He's not saying, well you have to show me you love me by obeying me, and then I'll know for sure. No, he's saying that because I love him, I'm going to be growing in obedience to him. So that obedience then doesn't, is not something I try to uh, live out so that I can impress God, or so that I can become worthy Obedience is something I live up because I am worthy, because Jesus has made me worthy, because Jesus has changed me already. And, and so it's just a manifestation of my love for him and my desire because of my new nature to line my life up with the kingdom of God. And what that does is it removes barriers. So he says, the Father's gonna love you. Now later he says, the Father already loves you, so I'm not getting him to love me by obeying, I'm just experiencing his love when I obey and, 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 and walk according to kingdom truth. And then he says, I'm going to reveal more of myself to you. And again, that's because there are barriers being removed. I'm removing the barriers of living like I'm still in the kingdom of darkness. I'm removing those barriers. And I'm replacing them with kingdom of light, life. And that enables me to experience more of his presence. So... Um, that said, I'm just going to end here real quickly with four points that I got uh, from a book by Bill Johnson called Face to Face with God. And four different levels of God's presence. First level is this. Um, he holds my cells together. In Colossians one sixteen and 17 says that everything is sustained by him. That means held together. That means at a molecular level, That subatomic level or however however far down you want to go, it's God that ultimately holds everything together. That means that my body is held together because of him. Okay, so that's, that's one level of awareness of God's engagement with my life. A deeper level of engagement is he lives in me. We've already seen that. He's in me. He lives in me. He's chosen to make my body his temple. He's chosen to make me his dwelling place. And then even more deep encounter with him comes when we gather with other believers who have Jesus in them too. And Jesus said, when two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm there. I'm right there. And and so something happens when two or three believers gather together around the name of Jesus, that God's presence is there. The presence of Jesus is there. And then I think the ultimate expression is is when uh, the whole church body uh, just hundreds of people that are, f- have Jesus dwelling in them when all of these individual temples gather together and the Bible calls that gathering the temple of God there is this outpouring of his presence we should come with the expectation of an outpouring of his presence and th- that happens especially when we gather to worship him And when we gather to minister to him through worship and praise. So that said, uh, I'm going to step aside from this. We're going to worship here in a few moments. And and I just want to just pray right now. Holy Spirit, we just welcome your presence here. And and as we're gathered here, uh, people who know you, people who are seeking you, we, we value you. We want, we just call out to you that you would release your presence. Holy Spirit, your presence here today during worship in Jesus' name. Amen.